in Proverbs. We've been in this sacred and, and uh, enjoyable book for over, over a year now. The book of Proverbs affords topical studies in many practical areas, being a book of wisdom, which is skill in navigating in a sinful world. And so the Bible being written primarily to believers, we could understand in a book like Proverbs, we would have a lot of instruction on avoiding sin because we have a lot of, of minds, M-I-N-E-S, in our way as we, as we take our journey to heaven. And yes, in Proverbs, we have looked at uh, avoiding sins like lying and drunkenness, pride, gluttony, immorality, disrespect, stealing, hatred or anger, greed, gossip, uh, slander. So we've had many studies, and there are many passages, many verses in Proverbs about uh, avoiding sin. But predictably, we have we have considered topical studies on good, good business practices like generosity, tithing, um, avoiding debt, or, main, or uh, not maintaining necessarily debt, but um, containing debt, controlling debt, friendship, emotional distress, Corporal discipline, raising children, marriage, good work ethic, contentment, just the subject of listening. So we, we, we have multiple, many subjects to help us navigate in this sinful world. But in Proverbs, though it's not a doctrinal book pursuit, per, per se, uh, we do have had some doctrinal studies in Proverbs, like Christology, the study of Christ, the study of God, and I touched, touched on the avoiding sin, that's the subject of Hamartology, the study of sin. Um, also, there are passages on salvation, soteriology, the study of salvation. There are passages that indicate that believers are in union with one another, ecclesiology, the study of the church. And there are passages on eschatology, the study of last things. And that's our concentration today. There is a what we might call a potpourri, a mixture of verses on last things. Uh, there aren't chapters or large treatises but there are inferences, there are direct statements, there are warnings, promises, conclusions that relate to the subject of heaven, the judgment day, and hell. And those are the three main thoughts this afternoon that we find in the book of Proverbs. And our consideration today is there is a heaven to seek and there is a hell to escape. And, of course, there is a biblical teaching that before heaven and hell, at least before the eternity of heaven and hell, 
there is a judgment day that precedes the eternal state. And that also is found in the book of Proverbs. But the first subject I look at is positive in a sense, although they're all positive truths. There is a heaven to gain. There is a heaven to seek. And if you've you've read Proverbs, and always the encouragement is to read Proverbs, it's very convenient in that Proverbs has 31 chapters, and we have a few a few months with 31 days and uh, one month with 28 or 29 and then the rest of them with 30. So uh, even uh, next month, I think there's 28, not a leap year. Uh, Is it a leap year next month? So you would need to read obviously on the 28th of February, 28, 29, 30, and 31 to go back to uh, March 1st on the first chapter of of Proverbs, but um, perhaps that's been your practice, not saying to neglect the other books, it's good to read the book of Psalms every day, to have a psalm open as you and I pray, the Psalms teach us how to, to praise God and thank Him and how to intercede, how to, uh, to pray, there's a heaven to seek. And I'm going to give you, obviously, a a mixture of verses, and so you don't necessarily have to turn to these, but I will give you the references. Um, Chapter 14 and verse 32 says, The wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. Now think of the inference there, Even even if it's not a statement. If death is all that there is, how could anyone have hope in their death? Hoping for what? Hoping to die? I mean, hoping that their death is a soft one, is, is, is a result of some softer reason or softer um, way, means of dying? No, Proverbs 14.32 is very clear that um, you can hope that there is blessing beyond death, that there's something beyond the the death of the body. But you also have the antithetic parallelism here. You have the wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous have hope in his death. So so it's obviously saying the, the wicked do not have hope in their death, and it's saying the wicked are driven away. Driven away where? It's, they're driven away somewhere where they don't want to go, somewhere that, that is a hopeless condition. Again, we're paralleling. It's not just, just simply saying, in this life, the wicked will be driven away um, into, a, uh, into a, a calamitous situation. Not all wicked people who are rich um, in this life see a, their demise. But certainly... Lost rich people, lost wicked people, when, they're, when they die, they all are driven away from blessing, from common grace into a terrorizing, unnamed um, place, at least as far as 1432 is concerned. 
So you have the dichotomy right there between the righteous and the wicked. Now again, the, we think of a wicked person because of our definition of wicked is this someone who's really bad, a murderer or a, uh, a, an adulterer. But notice wicked and righteous are in parallel. So a righteous person is not just someone who's moral and who doesn't murder and so on. It, they're both forensic terms. Righteous is someone who's declared righteous by the judge because of the righteousness of Christ. The wicked is declared unjust it's just, and, and uh, does not me- measure up to the standard of God's perfection because he doesn't have Christ. And someone who dies without Christ dies unjust. Someone who dies in Christ dies in a just state. But justice and un- unrighteousness are determined in this life. You can't become righteous if you die wicked. And you can't change to being wicked if you die righteous. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, that for the believer it's irreversible. But it's in life, in this life. Chapter 15, verse 24 The way of life is above to the wise that he may depart from hell beneath. So you see the above and and below. You see the the dichotomy. So it's not simply saying, you know, people try to read Proverbs as if they're only referring to this life. And so they might read the way of life is above to the wise. In other words, a way of morality and in a, in a good life here, and the way of and and hell beneath is just you know hell on this in this world. How often you've heard people say, "This is hell. This is hell to experience calamity and sickness and betrayal and so on." Little do they know that this is not hell. Now the word hell in the Old Testament is normally the word the word sheol. And if you look at that word and, and, and uh, separate it in its meanings and uses, it can refer um, to death, it can refer to the grave, and it can refer to the departed spirits of the lost, a place that we would call hell, that we would call Hades. Uh, from the New Testament, so it's the context that would determine whether it's referring to simply the grave, for instance, or to a place of conscious torment. Now it's saying here, it's not simply saying the way of life is, um, is resurrection uh, or, or existence beyond this life to the wise, that he may depart from death beneath. It's not just simply saying life and death. That doesn't make sense because um, if there's nothing beyond this, this life, then um, the above and the below would simply mean you know, a life of blessing versus a life that's cursed. But the Bible is inferring here, if not directly stating, that beyond this life, there's an above 
and there is a below, there is a beneath. And it's saying here that the wise prepare for eternity. The wise prepare for the above so that we will avoid the, the beneath. And this is the wisdom of Proverbs. Avoid dying without Christ. Avoid dying and going to hell. By, by every effort, prepare to die and go to heaven. Now is the time to prepare. Not, you know, when I get older. Some of us won't have that opportunity. Some people never got the opportunity to get older. Or you hear, you know, I'll make my decision on my deathbed when I find out I have cancer and I have time to prepare. We, we all know the folly of that because people die instantly. Uh, and many times people who are in their dying days don't have the consciousness and the saneness their mind to be able to think and reason. So this is a, these are verses that teach us to prepare for eternity. And we read together in, in the fourth chapter that the, 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 the righteous life shines more and more into the perfect day. What's the perfect day? It's obviously the, the day when you're glorified beyond this world. The perfect day is the day of eternity. So obviously that word day is used in a, is a period of time, right? Or we might even say sometimes a day is, is, a, is a, an event that may take place for a long time. How long will it take for judgment day to take place? Um, chapter 19, verse 18, Chasten thy son while there is hope. Again, we can't just simply see if you chasten your child early, they'll have the hope of a good job and a good situation in life, a, 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 a wife and family, you know what I'm saying, and have a, have a um, legacy to leave to their descendants. That's not simply what it's saying, although that's true. We, we discipline children early so that they would become mature, you know, that they'll be able to carry on conversations, that they won't be evil, they won't be, become uh, robbers and, and uh, detriment to themselves and to society. But Proverbs is often the now and not yet. The now and not yet. The now and not yet. And so you find the now and not yet in a lot of verses. Chasing thy some others hope, yes, we can refer to this life. But later it says that you'll deliver their soul from hell if you are faithful in your discipline. So obviously it's not saying you can't that you can ever deliver your child from death by discipline, because we're all going to die. And but it's certainly anticipating the fact you'll deliver your child from hell, from eternal ruin. Chapter 11, verse 4 says, righteousness delivers from death. And we know it's not saying physical death. It's talking about the second death. It's talking about eternal death. Because the most righteous, well, we might say, what's righteousness? Is it the legal or is it, or is it uh, a moral righteousness? But 
Either way, a justified Christian dies physically. And the most moral person, the most moral Christian, or even the most moral non-Christian is going to die physically unless the Lord comes back for the believer. So it's talking about second death, the death beyond the first death. Matter of fact, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire and it's called the second death when death, physical death is, is swallowed up in eternal death. And then there's an interesting text and there are quite a few Proverbs that are doubled, that are repeated, which obviously we would say for emphasis, right? This proverb is repeated. The prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the fool goes on and is punished. Now again, you can see the now and the hereafter. Um, you know, a prudent person foresees that if he joins his... his uh, his colleagues in, at work and waste time, he foresees they're going to fire us. They're going to fire them if, if, we, if I join that crowd. So he foresees the evil, the calamity that may, will come upon his colleagues. They goof off and waste time. Although often, how often businesses reward people who waste time and, and punish people who, who redeem the time. But you, you get the point. But there's a hereafter there. The wise person foresees to die without Christ is a hopeless condition and hides himself from, prevents himself from dying without Christ and comes to Christ. He sees, he reads the parable of Jesus that a lost person who dies doesn't just evaporate and doesn't just... Uh, there's no annihilation. In hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. So the righteous person says, I don't want to die in that condition. I don't want to ever die and then wake up in torments. How do I? And again, the Lord has to work in your heart because we're all dead in our trespasses and sins, and yet the Lord uses passages like this to scare us to prepare to meet God in the right way. And another proverb that is repeated there's a way which seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death now this is the subject of heaven right now but reverse it there is a way that seems right to a man and is the way to life that's the whole point of this text now first of all it warns those who are deceived there's a way which seems right unto a man to live a good life, to get to heaven, to uh, to follow Muhammad and Buddha or Buddha, or um, and the end thereof are the ways of death. But the reverse is true. The, there is a way which a man knows from the Scripture that is that the man knows to be right, and the end thereof are the ways of life. And so that's the point of the text. The main point is: don't be deceived. The person, a person can be absolutely confident that they're going to heaven and die and go to hell. Think about how scary that is. To be able to, to say all your life, I know I'm going to heaven because, and normally it's because I, I, I'm trusting. But 
what we need to know is it, that with Jesus, that which the Bible teaches is the right and proper assurance. Do I have that assurance? And the Lord Jesus teaches us that there are going to be many who say to him in that day, Lord, Lord, as if, again, when you double the name in the Bible, it's normally saying, I know you real intimately. Martha, Martha. Saul, Saul, Moses, Moses, and um, and Samuel. You had all these different double names, which the person who's saying it is saying, "I know you." And uh, so these people at judgment day are saying, "Lord, Lord, I was familiar with you. I, I was one of your disciples. I, I, uh, I followed you where you walked. I gave to your." I gave to the disciples bag of money. I, I, was, I was moral. And he's going to say, I never knew you. You say you know me, but I never knew you. And so the believer wants to make sure, does God know me? It's important, yes, do I know him? But what did Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice and I know them. That's why they hear my voice. And, and I give unto them eternal life. So it's important that I know him, but the most important, does he know me as his child? And so the wise person is going to pray, Lord, don't let me be deceived. This is the most important matter in all the world and forever. Am I sure, Lord, is it true that I'm saved, that I'm a child of God? I've got to know. Please don't let me be deceived about this. Where often the fool doesn't really care. He's trusting in what people tell him, or he's trusting in his his own confidence, his own way of, of, of confidence, the way he thinks is right. It's not what seems to us. It is what does the Bible teach? Is it absolutely assuring that I'm a child of God? That I, am I born again? Are my sins forgiven? Is Christ my Savior? Does God recognize me as a child of God? I mean, it's all angles that a, a wise person is going to make sure all angles are covered. And every so often, don't we say to the Lord, Lord, I just need that comfort. It's just like a child will come up to a parent and say, would you just hug me? You know, the hug of a parent, the assurance that they're loved, that they're accepted, that they're part of the family. That's important for there to be affection and for there to be that, that assurance. And so we often want, we think about John leaning on Jesus' bosom, how important that was to him, that Jesus was accepting him. And to be able to hear Jesus say, um, you are my child. How often did Jesus assure his disciples, uh, my sheep, you are my sheep. Or he said to others, you are not of my sheep. Man, if I was on that side, you'd think that they'd say, please, I believe you, Lord. Why am I not of your sheep? I want to know that I'm part of your sheep. We call them my disciples, right? And uh, sons of God. I want to know I'm a child of God. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm one of the sheep, I'm a true Christian. We're taking it from all angles. In other words, make your calling an election. Sure. 
in Proverbs is indicating there are people that just don't go that far. They just take what others say. Oh, you're going to heaven because of this, that, and the other instead of, or what does the Lord say at the end of the day? Now, it is important that mature believers recognize that you're a Christian. If, if mature believers question my Christianity, then I want to I know why. That would be a concern to me. But then there are other people that would accuse you of not being a Christian because of unbiblical reasons, and we don't have to worry about that. But we need to be concerned. What does the Lord say about me? In the way of righteousness is life, and in the, in the pathway thereof there is no death. That's a biblical verse in Proverbs about heaven. In the way of righteousness is life. So if you're in the way of truth, it's, it's the way of a believer who's going to heaven. Like it says in Psalm 23, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And in the pathway of there is no death. In other words, it does not lead to a dead end. You don't have to worry about a born-again person, a true believer, is not going to go to hell. Although we have often, the devil will hound us until the moment we die. You're not a Christian. You, you did this, you did that, and you're, you're, you have a whistle in the dark. And We have all kinds of attacks, and we need to constantly have our faces, our hearts in the Scripture. And what we find is people that are not studying the Scripture are not faithful to worship are weak believers and are always questioning their salvation. I'm not saying that, that strong believers never question their salvation, but they always deal with the question that comes up with the Bible, the Bible that has the answer. The devil comes and whispers in your ear, you're not a Christian. What do we do? Jesus said, believe in me. He says, and I give you eternal life. He that believeth on Christ hath everlasting life. So we arm ourselves with the word of God and we slay the devil and his slanderings and his doubtings. He's a doubter. He wants to cause us to doubt. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Oh, you're snared once you die without Christ. It's too late. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. And so we have quite a few verses in Proverbs that give evidence there is a literal heaven and there is a literal heaven to seek. Do we have the hope of heaven? Heaven is real. Heaven is, is forever. Heaven awaits the believer when he departs this life. There is the heaven of heavens, and there are brothers and sisters there now awaiting all the rest of their brothers and sisters to arrive. Secondly, there is a day of judgment to prepare for. Chapter 16 and verse 4. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. That's pretty ominous, isn't it? There, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. 
What about the righteous? They're not going to be judged at the day of evil. There is a separate judgment for the righteous, and my personal opinion is it takes place when every Christian dies. The Lord certainly would not want... I mean, if, if you're in heaven and you're awaiting your interview with the Lord, how could you enjoy glory? But the Bible speaks about um, every one of us should give account of himself to God. And so there is indication that the believer will have his interview with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God himself, when we die. It's the unbeliever that will be incarcerated in Hades that will await Judgment Day and the final verdict and, and the degrees of punishment. The believer, when we die, are, are with the Lord, but we, at that point, I believe there's the judgment seat of Christ and we are given an interview about how we live for the Lord. We'll be judged according to our works, the Bible says, and not as a degree of, for the degree of punishment, but the degree of rewards. And John cautions, he said, let's be careful that we don't lose what we have wrought, but that we obtain a full reward. And the Bible talks about believers who, whose works are wood, hay, and stubble, but yet they're saved, yet so as by fire. Now that's saying they're, they're not punished in hell, they're one of the Lord's, but we, we didn't use our life, we didn't use our gifts as we should. And that is certainly a, a warning to us that there's a lot of passages, a lot of verses about the believer and his works. And don't think, well, you know, we're not judged for our sins. That's different than we're not judged for our works. We are judged according to our works. We won't be judged according to our sins because Christ died for our sins. We're judged as far as how we used our talents for the Lord. Chapter 14 and verse 19 says, The evil bow before the good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. So again, you see the now and the not yet. And there are times when the wicked bow before the good here. Naaman, or I'm sorry, Haman bowed before, you know, obviously um, Mordecai and Esther before he died. And there are certainly other passages of scripture that indicate that people bowed before the righteous. But there's a not yet here, there's an eschatological sense. The evil bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. That's ultimate. That's a judgment day. The sheep will be on the right hand and the goats will be on the left. And there is, is that, that uh, ramification here, the eschatological thought that obviously the, the uh, persecutors of the righteous and the executors of the righteous who die without Christ, think about the rich man, for instance, is where he looks over and sees Lazarus. And Lazarus now is blessed and the rich lost person, not because he was rich, but he's now in a worse place than Lazarus, the beggar. You see that now the, the, the wicked bow before the righteous, send him and help me. Where Lazarus, he wouldn't even give Lazarus the crumbs from his table. The Bible says, what was Lazarus, he was... He, he, what was he eating there at the gates? The rich man didn't want to give him any attention, any time. But now, 
thou art tormented, and he is comforted. And so indeed, there's a day of judgment coming. There's going to be a reversal. It has to be quite... You know, you and I can be embarrassed and, and, and we, we certainly can be ridiculed and, and uh, humiliated here, but it's going to be an exact reversal for the lost. Think of the humiliation when your name and numbers come and you stand before God, everybody's looking at you. And your, and your sins are now brought up before the whole throng. Think about how humiliating and degrading that will be. That's why we want our sins under the blood. We want to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and not take advantage of others. Seek the Lord and make sure we're on His side. Who is on the Lord's side? That's the key, isn't it? And then, whoso hearkeneth me shall shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. See the eschatological, eschatological sense there? Yes, that can be referring to this life. A person suffers calamity because he didn't hearken unto the Lord. We find examples of that in life. But every person who dies without Christ has not hearkened to the Lord and will have the fear of God, a terror of terrorizing fear of God at that evil day. There won't be a person that, you know, how many people say, I'm not afraid of God. It's like the person that says, I'm not afraid of a grizzly bear until the grizzly bear's right there and there's no cage between him and the grizzly bear. And the grizzly bear is made by the Lord. In the height of arrogance to think that a person can stand before God and not be afraid if he doesn't have a mediator between him and the Lord. That's utter ignorance and suicide. There is a day of judgment to prepare for. Are we ready? Do you know the Lord? And even as a believer, we need to say, look, we need to be ready for our interview with the Lord. Don't you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or do we want to hear, you know, you didn't, you didn't listen. I tried. I sent person, I sent someone over and over. You heard that over and over again, and you just resisted it. You hardened your heart. We want to have a full reward. Cast our crowns at Jesus' feet. Judgment Day is terrorizing, but do you know that Proverbs, interestingly, has more passages on hell than it does on heaven. There's a hell to escape. Proverbs teaches it's real. Chapter 28, yesterday's reading, a man that doeth violence to the blood of any person shall flee to the pit. Let no man stay him. Now, that passage can teach that a person that murders um, his conscience is going to drive him to his death. Is going to stay with him to his death. That's certainly part of it. It could refer to the fact, you know, he needs capital punishment. Um, don't withhold the execution of a murderer, as our society 
seeks to uphold. But it also flee to the pit. A pit in the Old Testament often refers to a place of conscious suffering beyond this life. And so it's saying the person that does violence, that is a person who murders, premeditated killing, let him flee to the pit unless he flees to Christ. And even if he flees to Christ, he's, he should be saying, I'm, he saved me by his grace, but I deserve capital punishment. It's biblical. It, capital punishment was before Israel. It was in the days of Noah. Just like, we again, we have religion, we have work, we have um, marriage, we have society, we have government, all before Israel. And government is commanded to execute murderers. Chapter, chapter 9, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. But this text is, is saying that what awaits the murderer is the pit. And it certainly isn't referring merely to death. Again, the way of death is beneath chapter 15, verse 24, to the wicked. The unrighteous has no hope in his death, 1432. It's hopeless. Oh, that we would just listen to the, the cries of the lost. Hopeless. Sometimes we feel hopeless about situations. And that hopelessness is, is certainly temporary, whether it's temporary in this life and, and a hopeless situation will be over with. It will be corrected in the next life. But it says the unrighteous has no hope in his death. You open the portal to Hades today. What would we hear? Hopeless. Have you ever just imagined for just a few seconds of eternity incarcerated? Eternity. I'm not talking about a week. The children, grandchildren, and, 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 and we were having devotionals the other day, and I just said, close your eyes. What's it like to be blind just for a minute? But close your eyes, brother and sister, and what's it like to, to be in darkness forever and ever and ever and ever and ever? You lose track of time. There are no calendars, no watches, no clocks in eternity. And you know, there are times you just say, surely this is overkill. Surely this is, 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 is metaphorical. It can't be literal. But Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else. And he said, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. Now the doctrine of hell is not our bread and butter. We don't preach on this every day. It would it would debilitate us to preach on this. It's not, it would not be right to do so. But it's not right to never mention. I've asked people in liberal churches, when's the last time your clergy person ever spoke on hell? And you talk about listening to crickets. Absolute silence. Because it, it's not popular. People need to hear the truth. And you know, Proverbs especially warns young people and older people about the, the dangers of hell by immorality. 
Chapter 5, her feet go down to to death, her steps take hold of hell. Chapter 7, her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. It's not just talking about physical death. Chapter 9, her guests are in the depths of hell. It's warning that women or men who are immoral are serpentine. devil wanted Eve to think that what he was leading her to do was, was sweet, was positive, was profitable. And he, and he caused Adam and Eve to fall from God. It's dealing, it's not talking about just merely the grave or death or venereal disease or AIDS or something like that. Now again, you have the, the here and the hereafter. The now that is, has relevance and the hereafter. But don't you see that hereafter is the strongest sense of those texts? Because you think about it, we're going to die anyway. What warning would it be to an adulterer, to one who, who, who uh, purchases immorality, to worry about that? I'm going to die anyway. You warn him that, look, this is the way to hell. Eternal damnation. There's, there's that, that sense of resistance, of, of warning. And hell here, the Proverbs teaches that hell is a place of consciousness, not just a real place. Like it says, Judas went to his own place. Chapter 15 and verse 11 says, Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of men. The Lord is in hell. He's omnipresent. And he's, hell and destruction are before the Lord. In other words, the thoughts of people in hell, he knows. They don't escape God by going to hell. You've heard people say, oh, I'll... I'll escape God. I'll be separate from God. And that's a good thing to me. No, God is in hell. I say that reverently. He can't not be because he's everywhere present. There's no place in the universe or in the heart of the earth that you can escape God. And David said that, I take wings and fly to the uttermost part of the earth or the universe. Behold, thou art there. By all means, we need to make preparations and avoid this place. We warn our children by discipline. A little bit of pain in the back end is better than pain forever. And that's the point. If thou beat him, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. It's not saying you'll deliver him from death. And nor is it saying you'll deliver him from a hellish kind of life here. And again, the now and the hereafter, the now and later. But the, the later is the strongest sense. By teaching children the, 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 uh, the sowing and reaping, uh, sin, sowing sin reaps damnation. And I'm doing this to show you the, the dangers of sin and the hurt of sin 
and the damnation of sin. Please. I love my child. I'm going to discipline him because I'm going to point him to the Lord. I'm going to point him away from a place of punishment. People in hell are being punished because they weren't punished before. Better to punish now than to know that our children are punished forever in hell. Listen to David. Oh, Absalom. Absalom. Oh, that I had punished Absalom as I should have as a father. Oh, Absalom. My son, my son Absalom. That's the cry of a father who knows his son went to hell. Hell is punitive. Chapter 27 and verse 20. Hell and destruction are never full. If hell is the grave, what's destruction? You see, destruction goes after hell. Hell and destruction are never full. So it's saying what hell is. It's a place of destruction, not annihilation, but destruction. It's not a place of rehabilitation. The word perish is often used. A liar shall perish, chapter 19, verse 9. A false witness shall perish, chapter 21, verse 28. He that hates me loves death. Righteousness delivers from death. You have the word death beyond the word perish, which is the sense of the second death. He that hates me loves death. Righteousness delivers from death, the snares of death, the end thereof are the ways of death, the path to eternal ruin. He that pursueth evil, pursueth it to his own death. Not merely physical death. This is serious. Proverbs is a book of wisdom and the Lord is saying it's wise Factor the truths of heaven, <coughs> judgment day, and hell. Again, you all know that this is not something that is preached every service. It's not something that anyone should enjoy preaching. But it's absolutely necessary to keep the believer on edge to live for the Lord and to have a burden for souls. And to give us gratitude, to stir up our gratitude that the Lord took our judgment, took the wrath of God in our place, and suffered so horribly that we might be saved. But do we really believe in hell? You, you probably heard the man that, that said, you believers say you believe in a hell. You don't act like it. He said, if I believed in hell, I would be on my hands and knees warning people from that place if it's a place of conscious, eternal torment. We know what he, we know what he means. We don't have to have a guilt complex as if we should be on our hands and knees, but are we even, are we even on our feet? often warning people of this place. 
I look in the mirror of God's word and I say, oh God, I'm apathetic. The fear of man, the love of this of the pleasures of this world, what is it that keeps us from being on edge, on the tips of our toes, our hearts that moan and groan for lost souls? Isn't the doctrine of hell, the doctrine of heaven, aren't, there, aren't they factors? The love of God that loved us so much to give his own son to die for us? <coughs> Are these all not factors that combine to cause us to have zeal, motivation to live for the Lord? Prayers that are fervent and often will be effectual. God, be merciful to us. Our time is short. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord to believe these truths, if we believe them, wouldn't our, our lives be different? Wouldn't they be more earnest, more exemplary, more loving? Please forgive us, Lord. Heal our backslidings. Forgive our selfishness. Help us to love souls. Lord, you could weep, cry over Jerusalem. Lord, there was never a man so fervent and concerned. Please, Lord, help us to follow you. Make us fishers of men, winners of souls, winning believers one to another, be more fervent and faithful. Use us, Lord, to win souls, lost people. They might be delivered from the wrath to come. I thank you that you are generous with your salvation. You love to save souls. Please don't let us forget the seriousness of heaven and hell. The eternal state of man. Thank you for making us eternal beings. And thank you, Lord, that after the fall, you had already planned to save sinners. And you prepared a place for us. And if you prepared a place for us, you'll come again and receive us to yourself. Where you are, we shall, there, we shall be there also. Please let these truths sink down into our hearts and affect our lives. Too often, truth only affects us temporarily. Please let it not be so, Lord. Drive the word deep down into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name.